Last week we began talking about organic outreach, reaching out to lost people in natural ways, organic ways. And we spent some time talking about our heartbeat as a church. It was kind of a, a kind of a difficult, introspective time. We asked the question, do we have a strong heartbeat for God and for our love for Him and other people, people who do not know God yet? And as we looked at things, I came up with the opinion, at least my opinion, I don't know if you agree, was that our pulse is too weak. Our pulse is too slow. That we need an infusion of God's love. We're like the church at Ephesus that Jesus wrote to in Revelation 2 that said that you need to recapture your first love for me. You need to recapture the love you had back at the first and let that love shine brightly. Learning to reach out to lost people like Jesus did will require a big change of heart for us individually and as a church. And I hope that we are willing to pursue such a change of heart as we think about organic outreach. I want us to begin with a prayer this morning, really a prayer of repentance. So let's start right there. Would you pray with me? Lord, we repent. We realize that a change is needed, that we have not been loving you the way that we should, at least to the degree that we should. Lord, we have not been loving other people the way that we should. People that um, you love so deeply, that you're so, so involved in their lives. Lord, we, we miss them. We don't even see them. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will experience the change that the Holy Spirit, that you that you can do in us. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would not resist. We would not be so busy, so, so enamored with the world, so taken up with our schedules that we don't take time to change, to allow you to change us. Uh, do your surgery within us today, both as individuals and as a church. Continue bringing change and lift up the vision you have for this church in our hearts and help us to dream your dreams. Help us to love with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we want to talk about grace, the grace of God. Everybody loves grace, but there are some confusion about grace, I've discovered what grace actually is. So let me try and clarify that a little bit. There are really three things you need to, to kind of have an understanding and an awareness of in order to understand grace. We need to understand justice, mercy, and grace. They're not the same things. Now, we probably have a good handle on what justice is. We've watched enough of Judge Judy to know what justice is. But we may not know the difference between mercy and grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. Reward or punishment, it's based on what we've done, good or bad. Justice is cut and dry. You know, it's just black and white. It's right and wrong. Justice is getting what we deserve. But mercy is not getting what we deserve. We are, that's taken away. What, what punishment was ours was removed. And mercy 
we're let off the hook. The penalty is forgiven. It doesn't even have to be paid anymore. Grace goes a step further. Grace is getting much more than what we don't deserve. <laughs> Grace is not a reward, but it is given freely above and beyond any mercy that has been offered. So let me try to illustrate this a little bit. Some of you know that I recently got a new car. Not really a new car, a used car, but new to me. And I, I love it. I, I'm happy to have this car. I love driving it. I love how it looks. Uh, you know, after you drive the same car for about 12 years like I did, it's glad to have something different to jump in. And so I'm, I'm glad to have that. And so I like my car and I'm proud of my car. And let's imagine that Jane and I go to dinner one night. We've gone to dinner this past week one night. And we come out of the restaurant, and my car's sitting out there in the parking lot, and there's this young punk out there, and he's got his car keys out, and he's going like this down the side of my car, keying my car, scraping off the paint, you know, three rows of chip paint all down the side of the car. And we catch him in the very act. We see him there, and I have to respond somehow. Imagine how I might respond. How would you respond? <laughs> Now, I think I'd probably go running at him and say, what are you doing? Are you nuts? That's probably what I would do. I just imagine. And that's probably how you would react too. Now, I make a choice, an immediate choice of justice, mercy, or grace. Justice would be you've got to pay for the crime of, of what you've done to my car. You've got to fix my car. You have to make it right. In fact, in justice, I may even call the police. And press charges, in which case he would be charged with a misdemeanor, plus fix my car. You know, he'd have to do the whole thing, and he's going to pay for this. Mercy would be this. You'll be forgiven of your actions. I saw what you did. I know what you did. You even admit what you did, but I'm not going to hold you accountable for it. Don't do this again. Go away. <laughs> and then I fix the car. I pay the cost of fixing my own car. That's mercy. Grace, listen to what grace would do. He would be forgiven as if they didn't happen. He would pay nothing. I would absorb the cost of fixing the car, the damage that he has done, and he would go free. But there's more. I would basically say to him, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. What's more? I want to give you the car. I want this to be your car. I will fix the damage that you did beforehand. I will transfer the title to your name. I will pay for the insurance. I will fill the tank with gas, and the car will be yours. That is grace. What we don't deserve, and so much more. Is that extreme? <laughs> yes. Is that extravagant? How would that man react? He'd probably faint dead on the spot right there. You know, this, this doesn't happen in this world. But that is grace. You see, in a situation like this, I could demand justice, call the police, make him pay for his crime. Or I could extend mercy and let him off the hook. I could give him mercy, even though mercy doesn't make sense. In a lawsuit-hungry world like we have today. That, that alone would be like, what? You gave him mercy? But here's the punchline in the words of Kevin Harney. And as extravagant and as reckless as mercy appears, it is eclipsed by the sheer glory 
of grace. This is the realm of grace getting even more than what we do not deserve. Grace is exorbitant. Grace is senseless. Grace is staggering. And we leave the scene of God's grace gasping in stunned amazement. Our God is not only merciful, our God is gracious. Our God wants so much more for us than we might even imagine. Romans 6.23 talks about his mercy. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what we deserve, but no, this is what we get. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus took our sins upon himself so that we could go free. It says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. These are acts of God's mercy. We marvel at these gifts of mercy, but God went a huge step further. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through nine. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God not only gives us mercy, he gives us grace. He not only removes the punishment that we deserve, in addition, he gives us gifts we don't deserve. And his gifts are remarkable and astounding and amazing. God is not just saying like he would in mercy, your crimes don't matter. Grace is God paying the penalty for our crimes himself and then giving us blessing upon blessing, which we could never qualify for. No matter what we did, we, these are blessings beyond what we could ever expect or imagine. Ephesians 2 says that in grace, God forgave the death penalty of our sins. In fact, it wasn't just a death penalty hanging over our heads. We were already dead in our sins. But God made us alive again in Christ. Then he raised us up and he gave us every spiritual blessing that can be found in Jesus Christ. We have not even numbered them all yet. And he made us children of God and joint heirs with Christ of every blessing imaginable and unimaginable. What's more, the sinless life of Jesus is credited to us. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that whole passage for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. And he, that is Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through God's grace, we are all new creations in Jesus Christ. Who we used to be is gone. The new person that God is making us is here. The new person is now. We no longer walk in our filthy rags, but we wear the robe of righteousness, Jesus Christ's righteousness. And we were not given these things for our enjoyment alone, not for our own satisfaction. No, we have been given a job. We have been given a mission. We have been given a ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. As God has brought us back to himself and reconciled us with himself, he says, now help me to help everyone else to bring them back home. This ministry of reconciliation is God speaking through us to a broken, hurting, failing, falling world. And he has chosen to do this through us, not through any other means. Therefore, we are Christ ambassadors, Paul says. God is making his appeal to the world through us. And on behalf of Jesus Christ, we are saying to the people of this world, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. Get your heart right with God through Jesus. And as Christ's ambassadors, we are commissioned to be grace bearers to this world. And we want to see how can we do that? What does that look like? We are sent out into this world to carry God's gifts, God's grace to hurting, hopeless people who are far from God. But first, we need to know what that grace is for ourselves. For if we don't, we will never be effective. If we don't realize how much it costs us, if we don't understand the depth of Jesus' love, that he would pay the price for our sins. We do not appreciate the grace for us. It's hard to share that with anyone else, isn't it? Do you know that grace? Do you know that you required that grace? That you didn't earn this? That you didn't uh, uh, work for this? You were not equipped for this? But God chose by his grace to save you and me. And to give us a ministry of reconciliation. We must understand two things about grace. First of all, that God is the author and provider and only means of grace. That everything we have, everything we enjoy is a gift of God. We must never forget that. 
And secondly, we must understand that if we're going to organically and naturally reach out to this world, we must enter every day aware of and astounded by the wonder of God's grace toward us, first of all. We ever get in a position where we think, oh, we're good to go. We've got it all together. We've arrived. We, we are deserving of every gift God's ever brought to me, and I just want more, Lord. Then we have failed to be bearers of that grace. We must always walk in that grace in order to share that grace. So this morning, the heart of this message, I want to share briefly four behaviors of grace bearers. Four behaviors that stand out in a graceless world. We don't have much grace in this world except for God. And when we have these behaviors by his grace, it stands out. It's just, it just remarkable to people. They don't know what to do with it. First of all, behavior number one is reckless love. The love God sends us out into the world with is not the kind of love we normally see or experience in this world. Often we see what we might just call selfish love. You know, you love the people who love you. Uh, you're my family, so I love you. You love me. It's just required. It's just into the way it is. It's reciprocal. It's conditional. I love you because you provide what I want and need. And if you ever stop providing what I want and need, I'll go find somebody else to love. Thank you. That's the kind of love we see in the world. But reckless love has no conditions, no expectations, no requirements. We just love as God loved us. Kevin Harney talks about something that he'll never forget as a teenager. He said uh, his sister had become a Christian. She invited him to youth group. It was at Grove Community Church in California. He went to a youth meeting. He couldn't believe it. Those, those kids actually loved each other, and they loved him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know anything about his past. They didn't know what he was doing at the time, but they just loved him. He just just surprised. He was confused by experiencing such love. Now, his own sister had become a Christian recently. Couldn't understand that change had come over her. He said, our formerly combative relationship became confusing to me because she no longer wanted to fight. She refused to fight. We always fought before, but suddenly she won't do this. And to my shame, he said, I cursed her. I took her Bible, threw it on the floor, and stomped on it. But she responded with kindness and assaulted him with love. <laughs> and boy, was even more confused. It was nonsensical, he said. And yet, it was exactly what I needed. God used my sister to break through my heart of stone. It was reckless love that got his attention. I was remembering a, a time in my teenage years. We had very strong youth group in Largo, Florida. I loved to be with those kids. Many of us you know, went, went on to ministry because we had such a thing going there. God was working. And there was this kid that came in that we knew from high school. His name was Bill Pond. And he was, he was a pain in the neck. He was, he was the most egotistical guy you could imagine. He was always bragging, always talking about what he could do and trying to compare himself with everybody else and put people down. And he was not fun to be around. But that group, teenagers, accepted him and loved him. And just let him go on with that stuff. And I remember he'd lived not too far from our house. So he'd end up at our house sometimes. And he'd end up at some other kids' houses sometimes. And his home, we found out, was really bad. Not a good place for him to be. So any, any excuse he had to leave there, he'd get away and go to somebody else's house. And over a period of months, that love 
confused him, and then got through to him. And we saw him become a follower of Jesus because of the way he was loved. Reckless love can capture people's attention. Second behavior of grace bearers is generous forgiveness. Jesus expects his followers to extend forgiveness to others in the same way he offers it to us. It's hard to do. It's difficult to forgive. But it must be learned and forgiveness must be modeled over and over again. Remember perhaps the words in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer where Jesus taught us to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you may remember that he says after that prayer, he says, you know, if you'll forgive other people, then God will keep forgiving you. But if you refuse to forgive, God will not forgive you. It's pretty strong, pretty harsh words. You remember Jesus' parable perhaps where a king forgave his servant a huge sum of money only to have that same servant go out and refuse to forgive a fellow servant a very small sum of money. And so the master came back and demanded that he pay back every cent of his own debt, a requirement that was impossible for him to keep. He, he had lost forgiveness because he refused to give it. We must learn to forgive just as generously and as completely as we have been forgiven by God. That is a huge expectation, but we can do it by God's grace. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Kind and compassionate forgiving. As grace bearers, we must learn to leverage the moments where we have been wronged where we've been hurt or burnt or, or abandoned. Because these moments when we forgive become doorways to evangelistic activity, to a way to get into somebody's heart and mind. Because it is not what they expected. It is not the treatment they would have deserved. Perhaps you've heard the story I heard about a couple whose teenage son was killed by a drunk driver, another teenage boy. Although their hearts were broken, battered, shattered, really, during the trial, they began to sense the pain and anguish of the boy who was behind the wheel. They felt for him and the terrible thing that he had done, that he regretted his his great foolishness. Over time, God opened up their hearts to him in love, and they told him that they forgave him for taking their son's life. Eventually, he started hanging around with them. Could you imagine that? He started coming to their home, and they almost like adopted him informally as their son. So complete was their forgiveness and grace. When we forgive someone else, no matter what they've done to us, we reveal the presence of God in our lives. We reveal a God who brings grace to those who do not deserve it. We open a doorway to God's forgiveness for them too. And if we refuse to forgive someone, we slam that door on the opportunity that God may have for what could be a potential Holy Spirit-laden moment. Every time, however, we choose to forgive someone who has wronged us, we unleash the very grace 
that first saved us. A third behavior that grace bearers have is sacrificial sharing. In sacrificial sharing, we're talking about extreme generosity. It doesn't have to be about money. It could be about anything that we have, any resource that we have, anything that we've been given. But we're not talking here about equality. You share, I share. We're talking extravagance. Do you remember Jesus saying this? If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Or if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 5, 39 and following. We have been given much, far more than we will ever deserve. Whether we have much of this world's material goods or not, all of us are rich beyond measure and rich beyond compare. So why not freely give what we've been given? You know, <laughs> there's more where it came from. Ever notice that? No matter what God has given you, there's always more. So it doesn't matter if you give away what you've already been given because he can give you more. He always does. In fact, he loves to see his children give, and he usually gives back to us. It's just, just a matter of principle. We can learn to bear the grace of Jesus in our relationships as we take all that we have been given and hold it, not in clenched fists, but in open hands. Such a difference there. What we've been given, we hold out to the world and we say, this is what we've been given. This is what we have. This is what we have from God. How can it be yours? How can we give it to you? And sharing shows that God is present and transforming our lives. And we give because he first gave. Now, let me mention a powerful example or illustration of that that is still unfolding right now. You may remember that a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to pray for a pastor in Myanmar, Burma, named Pastor Toon, T-U-N. Pastor Toon and his family, his wife and three children, had moved into an area where the Rohingyas are. You know that this, this uh, humanitarian crisis that is going on in the western border of Myanmar right now. Many of the people have fled across the river, living in huge refugee camps, some of them trying to come back. Those who are still in Myanmar are in, in horrible uh, conditions there. Uh, these are Muslim people that the Burmese do not want there. And so there's this great uh, conflict going on there. And Pastor Toons felt called by God to go into the middle of that and to minister to people, to share the gospel there. And they started a church, a church of about 50 people now that have come to Christ. And two weeks ago, I asked you to pray for him because he had been kidnapped. He was kidnapped by one of the rebel groups in the area, one of the bad groups, just kind of a, a, like a drug lord guy or whatever. That, that He had his henchmen come and kidnap him from his family, took him right from in front of his wife and children. And they didn't know what had happened. And we learned this week that they killed him. That's, that's what they did to Pastor Coon, or Toon. And, and, and about five others, five or six others that they had also kidnapped. They, they found them all just, just killed out in the jungle somewhere. Now, that reminded me of Jim Elliott and four others years ago that were killed in Ecuador by savage Indians. They were there to show the love of God. They were there, and the Indians didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't appreciate what they were doing. They, they, they killed them. They speared them. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, didn't go home to America. She stayed there. She stayed there with her young children, and she continued to minister to the Hirani Indians and over a period of time, many of them came to Jesus as 
their Lord and Savior. And she got to see how one of the men who had killed her husband with a spear became a Christian and then was accepted into their family and actually became like a grandfather to her children. Amazing story. What will happen with Pastor Toon's wife and children? I don't know. Will they stay? What will the next part of the story be? But this is the way God uses sacrificial sharing to get the grace of God into the lives of people that we would never imagine would come to Christ. This is the power of God's grace. This takes us to the fourth and final behavior that stands out in this graceless world, opening our hearts to embrace people who are different than us. Not an easy thing to do either. We must learn to leave our comfort zones and to go out of our way to love and to give grace to people who are vastly different than us. I would never say this is easy. I don't think any of these really are. And some Christians resist this for all, all that they have. You know, some Christians only want to associate with other Christians in order to maintain their purity or to keep themselves safe. Some even retreat to the point they will only associate with believers who believe exactly the way they do. They're so careful about their doctrine. I will only associate with this narrow group of people that were all on the same page. And then they find out they're not exactly on the same page. They split up again. And now the, the, the circle becomes tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller. And God's whole way is not to live that way. That is not the way of Jesus the way of Jesus is to go out to everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter how they are living. This way of isolating ourselves or protecting ourselves, preserving our faith was never the way of Jesus. And it does not reflect the heart of God. Isolating ourselves from lost people only fails to communicate God's grace. We must do better than that people. We must do better. Jesus seemed to be drawn to the outcasts, to the broken people of his day. He easily conversed with and related to people of all kinds of backgrounds and situations. He reached out to and touched lepers. He spent time with the tax collectors who were often despised by others. He was not afraid to talk with prostitutes. Jesus spoke freely with the religious elite. He felt very comfortable around fishermen and shepherds and farmers. And he mixed and mingled with every possible class of people. And when we too allow our hearts to be opened by God, we will learn to embrace and engage with people who are very different than us. People who are even scary. People that are, are so far into sin, we, we don't even understand how they live. We don't understand how they do it, how, how they make it in life. And God puts us with them. God places us in their path. God helps us intersect with them. What kinds of people might this be? Could be addicts of all kinds, couldn't it? Sexual addicts, substance abusers, drug users, gamblers. Could be with all kinds of, you know, uh, immoral sexual activity, adulterers, fornicators, whatever you would put in that list. Uh, 
homosexual offenders, you know, different things. And God would say, it doesn't matter. These are the people that need my grace. It would be people who are marginalized, be orphans, widows, Vietnam vets, convicts and felons, people with AIDS or who are HIV positive. It would be people of different ethnicities and races and socioeconomic classes than us. It doesn't matter. There's all kinds of people out there, and every one of them needs his grace. Some of us may say, well, I can't do that because then my witness will be compromised. My integrity will be compromised when we hang out with people like that. But if we start thinking that, we just need to remember that Jesus responded to the woman caught in adultery in John 8. With these words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Expressing love to her. He spoke words of forgiveness, but he was also clear about her lifestyle and drew her closer to the life God had in store for her. Go now, he said, leave your life of sin. Jesus had no problem showing love to anybody, no matter what their life had been, no matter what they were caught in the very act of. But he also gave words of correction and encouragement at the same time. We must love unconditionally, but speak the truth. When we open our hearts to people different than us, our blessed reputations may suffer at the hands of other people who question and criticize what we were doing and who we're hanging out with. Jesus got the same treatment, didn't he? But Jesus wore the label friend of tax collectors and sinners proudly. So should we. And I think it's time for us grace bearers to start wearing a new label. Friend of sinners. What do you think? Shouldn't that be where we want to live? These are the four behaviors of grace bearers. They have reckless love. They have generous forgiveness, brothers. They share sacrificially and they open their hearts to people who are so different than them. Isn't that how we should live? Kevin Harney said, to be prepared for the work of outreach, the soil of our own hearts should first be drenched with the refreshing waters of God's grace. Then as our hearts overflow with the love of God and his goodness, we become conduits of his grace to the world, like a man in a desert who is dying from thirst. This world is grace-parched. People who are thirsty, dying for a drink that will sustain their dry hearts. We can offer this water that will refresh them. Now, you may not know what to do next, so let me tell you a couple of things. Two takeaways for today. First of all, I want to encourage you to drink deeply of God's grace yourself. If you're not experiencing grace in your life, in your soul, then take time to drink deeply of God's grace first. You can't share what you don't have. But as you come to appreciate and appropriate the grace of God for your own soul, it's going to start flowing out of you. So go back, spend some time meditating on Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Spend some time even memorizing that. Learn what Jesus is saying there through the word of what he did and what he wants and of the, the unbelievable things he has in store for you. As you go out, spend some time in 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 21 again. 
Let the truth of God's grace and love capture your heart. Drink it in. Receive it. Celebrate it. And then secondly, get reckless. <laughs> Probably didn't think a preacher ever tell you to do that. Get reckless. Get reckless in showing grace and love to someone who needs them. Think of some, someone and one extravagant, undeserved act of loving grace you could do for a person in your life. A person who's not yet a follower of Jesus. You know, find something and do it. Offer it to them prayerfully. No strings attached. And if they ask why you did it, then be ready to tell them about the grace you have received and how you're learning to give it to others. It's very simple. Drink it in and then get reckless with grace and love. As I lead us in prayer this morning, as we close our time in the word, I would ask that you just bow your head and that you, along with me, would ask God to make you and me grace bearers to our world. Follow along as I pray. Give your amen at the end if you agree. Let's pray. God of grace, I have been caught in the act. I have sinned against you. I am still amazed by your grace. I deserve punishment, but you took my place on the cross. I deserve separation from you, but you embraced me. As your loved child, I deserved hell, but you offered heaven through the sacrifice of your only son, Jesus. God, when I get a glimpse of your grace, I am overwhelmed. Oh God, with a trembling heart, I pray, let your grace flow through me. Fill me with so much grace that it cascades from me to everyone I meet each day. For your glory. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Let's breathe in our God together. Mm -hmm.